You know, I'm one of those people who doesn't really like going to the doctor. Uh, maybe you're like me in that, where even if something's wrong or I'm not feeling great, I kind of have to be dragged or heavily encouraged or nagged to get me to go out the door and go see the doctor. Right? And the problem is, the main reason, if I'm honest, why this is, is if I go to the doctor, I might find out that something's wrong. And as long as I don't go, then I can pretend that everything's okay. But if I go, the doctor's going to tell me that there's something wrong with me. And I would rather pretend that everything is good and right. But the problem is when you do that, just because I'm pretending everything's good, it doesn't make it so, does it? And what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to have a little checkup. All right, we're going to visit Dr. Paul in the book of Titus, and we're going to get a doctrinal checkup. Um, we're going to examine ourselves and ask if we really have sound or healthy or gospel doctrine. All right, because all of us would probably want to say, you know, yeah, I've got sound doctrine, right? No, my doctrine is good. I have good theology. I've got this figured out. You know, Pastor, I'm pretty sure I have even better doctrine than you if we want to, you know, go this route. But what I want us to do is, well, let's take a closer look and let's see. Let's be willing to be honest with ourselves and let God's Word examine us. And let's find out if that's really true. And so we're going to do this as we look at Titus 2. And what we're going to see is that healthy doctrine actually looks a little different than we might imagine it. And this morning we're going to look at three characteristics of healthy doctrine. And we need to compare it to our own and just be honest and ask ourselves, is our doctrine really healthy? And so if you would, if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from God's Word in Titus 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, showing yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, they're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people who are for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's Word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that You would examine us this morning. Lord, would your Holy Spirit convict us and speak to us, and would we have the courage to listen? Um, show us whether our doctrine is healthy or sound or not. Show us where our blind spots are, because we love you and we love your word, Jesus, and we want to be more like you. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So the first characteristic we're going to look at for what healthy doctrine is, is healthy doctrine believes the gospel. Healthy doctrine believes the gospel. And we're actually, we're going to skip ahead. I, I put this wrong. I gave Bree the wrong instruction, so that's why it's, it's wrong up there. But we're actually going to start looking at um, verses 10 or 11 through the end. And we have to start with belief when it comes to doctrine especially, right? Because if you don't believe the gospel, if you don't believe the correct things about Christianity, if you don't believe the basics of our faith, then you do not have sound doctrine. And another um, translation, another way to understand what sound doctrine is, is healthy. I think healthy is, you know, that's more of a natural word that we use rather than sound. So whichever one makes more sense to you. But a vital characteristic of healthy doctrine is that you have to believe the gospel. We have to believe in Jesus. Let's start at verse 11 and look. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God appeared to us in the person of Jesus. That's what we just spent many weeks in the month of December and Advent and Christmas celebrating, remembering, decorating our houses with and singing songs about and talking about is the fact that the grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus. Sound doctrine has to believe that Jesus actually came, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That he was born in Bethlehem. He entered into the world wrapped up in flesh, truly God and truly man. It wasn't just God pretending to be a man. It wasn't just a man who had really good teachings and talked and taught us some nice things about God. It was God himself. Sound doctrine, healthy doctrine has to believe that Jesus is our only hope in life and death. And this salvation, it came for all. It came for everyone. It didn't just come for the spiritually elite. It didn't just come for others and not for you. It didn't just come for the good Christians who are here this morning and the other ones we're not really sure if Jesus came for them. It came for all of us, the whole world, and that includes you. And Jesus, He brought salvation through His death. Verse 14 reminds us, He who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all Lawlessness. He gave Himself up in our place. He shed His own blood on the cross. His, he nailed our sins to that piece of wood. Yes, the Romans executed Him. Yes, Pilate sentenced Him to death. But He could have stopped it at any time He wanted. At any moment, He could have stepped off that cross and healed His wounds. At any moment, he could have spoken a word and had armies of angels come and defeat his enemies. At any moment, he could have made every drop of blood stop falling out of him and go back up. Yet he didn't. He willingly gave himself up for us. No one made him die. He didn't owe it to us. Jesus gave up his life for you and for me. And he did this. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness. He died to redeem us. We were slaves stuck in our sin. Stuck in a debt that we could never repay. With sins chasing us that we could never outrun no matter how hard we try. But Jesus paid our debt. He bought us and he set us free so we're no longer slaves. We are now children of God. That's what we just sang. That's sound and healthy doctrine. He adopts us into our family. Healthy doctrine believes in the forgiveness of sins. That our sins are forgiven not because we're good enough, 
but because Jesus died and he forgave us, even though we don't deserve it. And the gospel has implications for our life. It's not just good news that Jesus died for our sins. Those the best news there is, is that we can be forgiven. And then, you know, it's not just you're forgiven, do whatever you want. You got your get out of hell free card, so now go and, you know, do what you want. But every now and then maybe talk to Jesus. Once saved, always saved after all. Well, look at the rest of 14. He gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We have our sins forgiven. We are justified. We are declared and made righteous before God. In God's sight, we are no longer sinners. We are saints, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done. But notice that Jesus is also sanctifying us. He is also purifying us, even at this moment, and slowly over the course of our lives, making us more and more and more into the image of his Son. The gospel doesn't have to do with just Jesus died for our sins. It's also that he is sanctifying us and purifying us now. But notice who does the purifying. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Jesus is the one who purifies. Jesus is the one who sanctifies us. Jesus is the one who makes us, in the Holy, along with the Holy Spirit, makes us more like Jesus. The gospel believes that God is the one who does this. The world preaches self-improvement. The world teaches self-actualization. You can be all that you want to be if you just try hard enough. You read the right book. You go to the right conference. You watch this YouTube video. You do enough and grit your teeth, and you can do whatever it is you want. That's kind of the whole point of this time of the new year, right? I don't know what you do with resolutions or, you know, we all sit down and we dream and think about all the things that we wish that we weren't and we wish that we were. And, you know, maybe this year if we just gritted our teeth enough or if we wrote it down, maybe now we could turn into something different. The gospel doesn't say believe in Jesus and then try really hard to be good. The gospel doesn't say believe in Jesus and then, you know, your works don't save you, but now you got to do it all on your own and figure it out. The gospel believes that Jesus does this for us. He is the one who purifies us. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who makes us more like Jesus. We don't have to try hard on our own. And in fact, most of the time we have to stop trying, admit that we can't do it, go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to do it for us. Believing the gospel also has to do with our future hope in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. Our hope for the future is incredible. I don't know, you know, what you think about it. Any stretch of the imagination, right? The last two years have been pretty bad. Not great, to say the least. It's hard for us to imagine what the future may look like. We can all sit and debate or argue what do we think the next year is going to look like or next two or next three or four. You know, I have no idea. I like to sit down at the new year and try and figure out my resolutions or, you know, figure out, okay, what do I want this year to look like? What are my dreams for the church? What I hope will be like when we look back? Now, honestly, I have no idea. I don't know what this year will look like for me. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. I don't know what it's going to look like for our church. But here's what I do know. Our ultimate future is good. Our ultimate hope is not what God will do today. It's not what God will do this year, we hope. It is what God will do when He comes again. And we are waiting for that, our blessed hope. 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can have hope no matter what the news says. We can have hope no matter what your life brings, no matter what your circumstances or pain or suffering is. We have hope because our hope is in Jesus and in His return. And when He returns, He will judge the living and the dead. He will bring justice and He will bring resurrection. He will remake the world. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. That is our blessed hope. All of that is all that we find here in these verses is part of what it means to believe in Jesus and in the gospel. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we really believe the gospel? Is our doctrine healthy? Is it, is it correct? For believers, often we need to remind ourselves that this is what we believe. And do we actually believe this? Do we believe it with our hearts? Not just do we believe it up here. Do we affirm it and we'd say it or, we, you know, hey, give me something that says that. I'll sign it and say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. It's not just do you think that this is true. Do you really believe with everything in you that Jesus is your only hope in life and death? Or have you forgotten what our, have you forgotten what our blessed hope is? Have you forgotten the wonders of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Is that just old news to you? There are unbelievers, if you're here watching later, you know, do you really know Jesus? This is what we believe as Christians. Do you believe it? Because Jesus died for you because he loves you. It's the first characteristic of sound doctrine is it believes the gospel. The second characteristic of sound or, or healthy doctrine is more than just belief. It is that healthy doctrine lives the gospel. Healthy doctrine lives the gospel. See, our doctrine has to actually be lived out. It's not just intellectual. It's not just up here in head knowledge. It has implications for how we live our whole lives. If you go back to verse 1 here and you notice, it says, teach what accords with sound or healthy doctrine. And if you read too quickly, if you read through this chapter ahead of time, you might have missed that. So he starts by telling Titus, okay, we got, you know, godly gospel leaders out of the way, but now here's what you need to do. You need to teach and make sure your church understands what sound doctrine is. Go, okay, great. But that's not enough. They actually have to live out that doctrine because when you look at all through verse 2 through 10, there's a lot of things in there that I don't think we would normally call doctrine. If I signed up for a doctrine 101 class in seminary and then went down and they started off and said, okay, guys, we need to be dignified and self-controlled. Like, whoa, sorry, I think I'm in the wrong class. I signed up for um, Doctrine 101. This sounds like some other thing, but I, I'm here for Doctrine. Like, I, I didn't sign up for that class. This is what Paul said. Okay, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And here's what sound doctrine is. It's how you live. It's how you act. It's what you do. Now, because we are believers... Because of what Jesus has done in our lives, because of how He has saved us and redeemed us, and because of our great, incredible hope. If we actually believe all of those things, if they're true, then it changes how we live. It changes how we act. But too often, we just typically associate doctrine with belief in facts. We think doctrine is studying fun words like election or Eucharist. Or sound, you know, it's knowing the difference between dispensationalism or covenant theology or superlapsarianism, which if none of those words mean anything to you, that's fine. But some of us think that if we know those words, then we really know doctrine and we're really smart. And those who don't, don't know as much doctrine as I do. Paul seems to think, no, healthy doctrine is doctrine that lives out the gospel. You actually have to live these things, not just know them or believe them or have good definitions and use big words. 
Because unhealthy doctrine, you know, on the flip side of that, doesn't live out the gospel. Unhealthy doctrine claims the gospel and doesn't believe it. Unhealthy doctrine verbally affirms the gospel and then doesn't actually live like it. You know, it's like a, like a patient who's sick and goes to the doctor and the doctor gives him a prescription. Hey, you're sick, here's some antibiotics. Take these and you'll be better. And the person goes home and tells other friends, Oh, I love my doctor, they're the best. They're just the greatest. They listen to me. They're so kind. They're so smart. Can you believe they went to school? Can't believe, you know, can't believe I love this person. They're awesome. They get on Facebook and start telling everyone, you know, here, really recommend this doctor. They're so trustworthy and awesome. You should go up, call up some friends just to let them know how wonderful their doctor is and then never take the antibiotics. And then keep getting sick and go back to some friends and say, well, have you taken your medicine? Oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't really take that. Well, I thought you said your doctor was so great. If this, wouldn't you... Listen to them if you really thought that was true. That's how we approach, that's kind of a picture of healthy doctrine. If we really love Jesus, if we really believe the gospel, if we really believe what God's word says, then we would actually apply it to our lives. We would do something about it. We wouldn't just talk about it or think about it sometimes. Healthy doctrine has to be lived out. We have to actually live out the gospel. And this is how some Christians live. They post Bible verses. Listen to Christian music, maybe even watch some Christian movies every now and then. But day in, day out, they don't actually follow the words of Jesus. They don't live out their faith. They hate their neighbors, hate their enemies. Don't give to the poor, don't read their Bibles. They don't care about Christ's bride, what he calls the church. They, ah, I don't really need that. I know God's word maybe says I'm supposed to go to church. I think I just do whatever I want on my own. Just me and Jesus. Now, I'm not actually walking with Jesus or reading his word either, but you know, that's besides the point. It's just whatever I want to do. That's how a lot of us can tend to live. Paul tells us that's, that's unhealthy doctrine. Sound doctrine has to actually be lived out. And living out our healthy doctrine is something that's required of all of us. We might be tempted to look at this list right here in Titus 2 and only see our part, right? Try and find where is our category. That's the one I'm going to really focus. I'll underline that other stuff. Good. I don't have to, have to listen to that. Because this section is kind of, we sometimes call it as household code, codes, because just about every member of the household is under here, right? Older men, younger men, older women, younger women, I'll let you decide which category you think you belong in. I'm not going to tell you that that's between you and Jesus, um, you know, bond servants. But the wrong way to read this, right, is to look at ours and think, okay, this is the one that applies to me. I don't have to worry about the other part. It was really easy to see why that's not true, because you can see, well, older women are told not to be slaves to wine. Okay, not to be alcoholics or addicted to drink. She might say, well, good, good thing. I'm, I'm definitely a younger woman now, so I can do that. Or, well, I'm a man, so I can drink as much as I want. I can be a slave to wine. No, that's obviously missing the point here, right? These aren't exclusive. What Paul is trying to make in talking about all these different categories isn't that these are the only things you need to do. He is trying to show that all of us are responsible for living out the gospel. Every single one, no matter what you're your age is, no matter what stage of life you are at, whether you're young and just starting your career or retired and not quite as young, all of us are responsible for living out the gospel. This isn't just for those who have known Jesus a long time. This isn't just for those who are super spiritually mature. It's not just, it's for the young and for the elders. It's for elders and church members. It's for anyone who claims to know the name of Jesus. We are called to live out the gospel. 
and all of its implications, and it has a lot of implications for our lives. Now, I'm not going to go through each of these. Um, if you're really hoping I was going to do that, um, come back on Wednesday night, because that's what I'm going to do there. Uh, we'll study that a little more. But I want you to get the main point of here is that all of this is that we are supposed to live out the gospel. Every single one of us. And each of us, it's, everyone in the room, it's going to look a little different in our contexts, right? We all have different relationships. We're at different life stages. We have different people in and out of our lives. We have different personalities. But all of us are still supposed to be like Jesus. All of us still are supposed to, to love those that are in the room with us. All of us are still supposed to, to find ways that we can live out the gospel in our own context, in our own ways, in the way that, that points towards Jesus. We don't, we're not all supposed to be clones that act exactly alike and say all the same things and act exactly the same way. But we're like a beautiful tapestry or mosaic, right, where you see all of those different individual stones, but when you step back and look, it's this beautiful painting and picture. So what all of our lives are supposed to be. We might be all a little different, but when you step back and look, all of us ultimately look like Jesus in our own unique ways. You also see we live out the gospel in uniquely ordinary ways. You notice how simple some of these things are in these lists? Be self-controlled, not being slanderers, being kind. Something I tell my children over and over every day, Calvin, we need to be kind. Calvin, please be kind to your brother. Calvin, please stop trying to kill your brother. Be kind. Okay, have integrity. Not pilfering about in our work. Intent. Those are just, those are ordinary things. Those aren't going to knock anyone's socks off or blow anyone away or amaze them. Okay, they're not uniquely amazing displays. No one's going to see you quietly having integrity in your work even when no one's watching it and go, oh my gosh, wow, I have to, we got to make a movie deal. I got to get the rights to your life now so we can, you know, get Tom Cruise to, to play you and have this big, this is going to be a blockbuster. Everyone's going to see how awesome this is. It's just ordinary. And yet, our ordinary, often boring faithfulness to Jesus, it lives out the gospel. That's healthy doctrine. That's sound doctrine. And the doctrine, our doctrine should be affecting our lives in small, ordinary ways, in ordinary places, at ordinary times. If we're really living out the gospel. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we living the gospel? Is the gospel affecting how we live? Is your relationship with Jesus affect how you respond to people when you're angry? Does your relationship with Jesus affect everything of your life, or does it just affect some things on Sunday? Are you different because you know Jesus? Because if not, your doctrine might be unhealthy. You might be declaring that you love Jesus and yet not doing anything that Jesus asks of you. And sound doctrine, it's not just believing the gospel, it's not just living the gospel. Sound doctrine also involves proclaiming the gospel. Our third characteristic is sound doctrine bears witness to the gospel. Sound doctrine bears witness to the gospel. Sound doctrine tells people about Jesus with our words and with our lives. We see this mentioned three separate times in this passage, right? We're given three reasons to live out the gospel. And they're all related to kind of how our behavior and our, our belief and our lives are, are a witness to the gospel. We see the first one in verse 5. Do these things that the word of God may not be reviled. And I don't think that's there, especially because it's repeated three times. It's not just, hey, young women need to make sure they're really obeying, and none of us really, no one else has to worry. It's just young women have to worry. No, it's, it's all of us here. So we need to live out the gospel that the word of God may not be 
reviled. We're to live out the gospel so that unbelievers would not disparage the Bible. And not just that, it's really our own behavior is this reviling. Some of you, your translation, it might translate revile because that's maybe a word you don't use a lot. It might be translated as blasphemed. Because that's what the Greek word is. It, it, this is where blasphemy comes from. I don't think any of us in the room want to be called a blasphemer, right? Whether you know Jesus or not, that's typically, it's kind of a, it's very Old Testament-y sounding. None of us really want to be accused of that, especially not if we love Jesus. We definitely wouldn't want to commit blasphemy even on accident, right? If you said something and I said, hey, that's kind of blasphemous, it'd probably make you pause and go, whoa, whoa, whoa really? I, I don't want to do that. Well, this is what Paul is telling us. He's saying, make sure you are living out the gospel that God's word may not be blasphemed against. And this is what God calls us. When we deliberately ignore his word and do whatever we want, we are blaspheming against it. And we're causing unbelievers to blaspheme. You know, if you didn't know Jesus, what would you think of Christians who don't live out their faith? If you didn't know Jesus and you just, you only had, you didn't know much about him, you just had the example of people in your life that you knew who were Christians. And maybe they weren't very good ones who didn't act like God, who just seemed to blaspheme against their own God, what would that make you think? Would that make you want to, oh, you know what, I really, I think I should wake up early on Sunday, my one day off, and I think I should come to church and hear about this God that you don't really seem to care about. And you know what, yeah, maybe I should turn from my sins, kind of like you have, where I just kind of say that I have, and then I just do whatever I want anyway. Yeah, that sounds good, I'll do that. Do you think that makes people want to come to Jesus? They make you feel like the Bible is really valuable and you should be studying it because you've never seen another Christian studying it, but apparently they say it's important, yet they ignore it, or there's whole books that they just never read or look through. Our healthy doctrine has to bear witness to the gospel, and the reality is that a lot of our disobedience can push people away from God and from His Word. Because you can't tell people how much you love the Bible, how much you love it is, and how valuable it is while just living contrary to it. That makes people go, ah, well... You must not really take it that seriously. Or, oh, I notice. Okay, there's just some verses you like and then other verses you don't like, so you ignore those. Cool, I'll do the same thing. So I'm just going to ignore all of them. That's what we can cause people to, to revile the Word of God. Instead, our, our healthy doctrine and our living, it should point people towards God's Word. It should make them want to consider it should make them want to, to read it to know more. So they should see our lives and see, wow, you know, the Bible must be really significant. It must be important. I want to know more about that. And our personal obedience, it also impacts our witness. Verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. We're to believe and to live out the gospel in such a way that people who don't like the gospel and don't like Jesus can't say anything bad about us. They just have to say, you know... I don't know, I just don't like Jesus. They should be able to look, this is what our witness should be. They shouldn't be able to use us as an excuse to dismiss Jesus. Now, ultimately, that's between them and God, but this is what God's Word says for us to wrestle with this morning, is that we need to be careful so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is one of the reasons it is so horrible and it's offensive when Christian leaders and pastors are found out to be abusers, or they're acting worldly and selfish, or they just, you know, are only in the ministry for money. Because it makes people dismiss Christianity, the church, and Christ, because they can say, well, look, that person's obviously a crook. 
look, this person's obviously just full of it. Why would I care about any of that? Clearly, no one really believes any of this. Brandon, I watched a movie recently about, you know, Tammy Faye and Jim Baker, if you remember them. Um, we bigger televangelists in the 80s, and it kind of built this big mass ministry, and then it ends with affairs and prostitutes and someone going to prison for lots of felonies. Okay, that's a witness to the world. And what does that make people do? Well, it makes people go, well, they can have plenty of evil to say and look, oh, see? Well, that's what people are really like. I don't need to worry about Jesus. Instead, people should be able to look at our lives and be forced to just reject Jesus. They shouldn't be able to say, well, you're a hypocrite, so I don't have to listen to what you're saying. They, should be able to, they shouldn't be able to say that. You know, I've got a family member, um, many of you, you know too, because we've talked about, who doesn't know Jesus. He's, he's an unbeliever, and every now and then I get to have a couple conversations with him um, about faith, and they're, they're usually interesting. Um, but one thing that often comes up is his frustration with Christians. Because he looks at him and he just says, you know, it just, and this is often, I'm not putting words in his mouth, I say, you know, it just really seems like a lot of them care a lot more about politics than they do about Jesus. They'll say, wow, I just, I heard Christians for so long say they care about these things or this morality or this standard, and now I see them over here, and suddenly they don't care about it anymore as long as it's, you know, the person on their team, and then they're fine with it. And I just, you know, it just kind of makes me not want to listen to that. What we do and what we say, it, it, it impacts our ability to witness to people. It, it, it hinders people from being able to come to Jesus. You, you've lost out on the chance to tell them about Christ. Now, on the other hand, I get to have conversations with them about it, and most of them will say, you know, well, I, I think you seem like a, a great guy, but I don't know, just not my thing. You know, he has to end up just rejecting Jesus on his own. But that's why it's important that we have a witness that we are actually living out our faith if we really do believe it. And our obedience, it also, it adorns sound doctrine. And it, which adorning, it means it makes it attractive or more beautiful. Verse 10, so in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Kind of think of it like your Christmas tree that you adorned with, you know, beautiful ornaments. At least to you, they're probably beautiful. You know, everyone else may or may not think that. But what our lives do is our lives adorn the doctrine of God. Their decoration, it either draws people closer to Jesus or it pushes them away from Him. And it makes them not want to do anything with it. Our lives are doctrine wrapped up in flesh. We live out the things that we believe. Every day you live out what you truly believe. Not what you say, but what you actually believe here in your heart. Whether you want to or not. The way that we love our neighbors even when they hate us. The way that we sacrifice and serve even when it's costly. The way that we choose to give to the poor and the needy, the way it should make people stop and want to know more about Jesus. People should never be able to say things, you know, like, I like Jesus, but I don't really like those Christians. But they will say that because there will always be people like that who claim the name of Jesus and don't live like him. But that should never be able to be said of you or of me. If you really love Jesus, if you really want to bear witness to him, because healthy doctrine, it bears witness to the gospel, and it bears a good witness. And our gospel witness is connected to how we live, and how we live should look like Jesus, should make people want to follow Jesus. This can be a hard pill for us to swallow. You know, I'm tempted to soften it or, you know, make excuses or just blame unbelievers. And, you know, ultimately, it's between them and Jesus, yes. But this is for us to wrestle with today. 
Most of us are believers in here, I hope, I assume, Lord willing. And so we need to wrestle with the implications of this, that, that our doctrine and the way that we live bears witness to the gospel. Do people want to know Jesus because of how you live? Or do they want nothing to do with Jesus? That's between you and God to wrestle with. Now, none of this means that we have to be perfect, right? This isn't God telling us that our every mistake and sin is sending people to hell and it's our fault. But it should force us to consider our own conduct. How do you act? How do you act when distractions or frustration things comes, like trains, you know, driving by in the middle of your sermon? You know, what does your life actually look like? Is your doctrine healthy and is it sound? Because the reality is, like it or not, some people will decide if they're going to follow Jesus or not, in part based on how you live. You know, my sons, I think about this a lot, are going to decide partially how they feel about Jesus based on me and on my life. If I preach one thing here on Sunday morning, and then when I'm home and none of you are around, I'm acting totally differently, they are going to notice that. Because I noticed that about my own father, who didn't do that. He lived rightly. You know, but if I preach all about grace and kindness and love, and I'm a harsh and cruel man to my sons, what does that teach them about how God feels about them? Now, I'm, I'm aware of that reality. More aware of it than I want to be, like this morning. We're trying to teach Cal and we don't throw things. And today at breakfast, he said, Dad, we don't throw things. I said, well, what? What do you mean? He said, you threw something. You, you, what did I throw? Oh, you threw the rag on the table. And so there's my temptation of, you know, well, son, it's different. I can throw things if I want to throw things. You know, this is, no, what? I had a choice. Okay, you know what, son? You're right. I did throw that. And I went back and I picked it up and I folded it and I sat down and I said, we don't throw things in this family. Thank you, Calvin. Please forgive me for throwing something. Um, you know, it, it's small, right? It's, but that, that's one of the reasons that we try to apologize to our kids. When I raise my voice, when I, do, when I do throw things, whether it's small or big, when I don't do what I should do, because they're watching. And if I'm not living like Jesus, my sons aren't going to have anything to do with Jesus. And part of the reason I'm a pastor is because my dad actually did this and he lived these things out. And I saw it in his life. What he said on Sunday, he believed with his whole heart and with his life. If he didn't, I, I doubt that I would be here. I definitely wouldn't want to be. And you, you and the same is true for you, whether or not you have little children at home. You never know who is watching. And we don't know, we can't control what they do and think, and ultimately, again, it's between them and God, but we can be a good witness for Jesus. And healthy doctrine bears witness to Christ. It makes people want to know more about Jesus with our words and with our witness, even not because we're perfect. Maybe we just are a great witness with how often we repent and acknowledge our sin when others don't. Sound, in, in summary, are, are three characteristics. Sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. It believes the gospel. It believes the gospel, it lives the gospel, and it bears witness to the gospel. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you have healthy doctrine? And if you don't, what's, what's missing? Because God's grace and His forgiveness is there for you. <coughs> Repent and try again. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up and we're going to continue to worship our Savior. Lord, I ask that you would, um, Lord, forgive us.
Uh, I'm sure all of us, myself included, we have ways where we, places we are not living out the gospel. Lord, places that we are not living out your word, that we're not listening to you, we're not following you, we're stiff-arming you. Places in our lives where we're not being a good witness towards you. God, would you forgive us? Lord, would you help us and teach us to, to repent? Lord, would we be known, all of us, and as a church, as a people who are humble, who don't act like we have it all together, but who freely and often and repeatedly admit our failures and ask for your grace. Lord, show us those places. Help us to repent of them. Lord, would we bear witness to the gospel? Would people in our communities come to know you? Lord, would people get, get saved and embrace Jesus and the gospel because of the witness of Tanglewood Bible Fellowship and the people that are here? But what we do here on Sunday and what we do in the rest of our lives during the week. Lord, help us to really believe the gospel, to live it, and to bear witness to it. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing praises to our Savior. Jesus is worth clapping about. Um, but before I read our benediction, a quick announcement again, as Deborah reminded me, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Um, we just need some help, um, not everybody, but just removing these first two rows and setting up five tables for our women's kickoff that's going to be on Tuesday night. So if you don't mind helping with that, that would be great. Again, not all the chairs, just these first two rows um, and a couple tables. But here's this benediction um, from the end of Ephesians. Blessed be the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. God bless you. Go in peace.